Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business on Money FM 89.3 is brought to you by Zero. Try Zero free for 30 days by visiting xero.com. Terms apply. Zero, beautiful business. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the breakfast huddle. Elliot Danker, Bharti Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. It's time now for Mind Your Business. Now, have you ever wondered how serial entrepreneurs really manage to get so many eureka moments to start a new business? I have often wished for at least one of these moments. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I guess I I have come to terms with it and you know I guess maybe I'm just not meant to be one of those serial entrepreneurs. <laughs> you never know, Elliot. Keep the dream going. Yeah, maybe later, huh? maybe later <laughs> in life. I want to tell you about this venture capital firm Golden Gate Ventures. They recently analyzed founders of the top 50 most funded startups of the last decade and they found that 26% were not first-time entrepreneurs. Our next guest actually co-founded three startups that were acquired by Yahoo, Airbnb's rival HomeAway and WeWork. And it doesn't look like it's going to be stopping anytime soon. He's now working on his fourth startup called Pace Enterprise. It's a buy now, pay later business. Let's find out more about his journey as a serial entrepreneur and how he decides on his next venture. Is there a framework for that somehow? Well, on the line with us is Turohas Afaud, the CEO of Pace T. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine, guys. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. So you've, you've successfully launched what? And, and even sold three startups. Could you tell us a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey, though? I can imagine it, it's quite a long and interesting one. Yeah, definitely. It is. It has been. And I've been terribly lucky in that sense. But I guess looking back, it, it must have started with, you know, you, you always have a mentor. And in that, that case, it's always been my father. Growing up, I saw him work really hard and, you know, with his own small business, which he still runs today. Though my siblings and I were very fortunate to be put through school in the U.S., it, it, it didn't come easy for him. So we see the permanent late nights, the non-existent weekends that he had and the sacrifices. The strength and commitment, I guess, uh, putting in the hard work, staying focused on the daily grind. It's kind of kept me going and driven, right, throughout the startups that I've founded so far. So I guess it's sort of been uh, incubated in me since young. And, mm. and my journey, as you have sort of mentioned, you know, has taken me from Silicon Valley to Singapore over the last 20 plus years now. And, and yeah, you know, been very lucky to have my three companies to have successful exit. And I'm terribly excited to start the fourth one now, Pace, you know, a fintech company out of Singapore with operations across Malaysia, Hong Kong and Thailand right now. You mentioned your dad. I mean, of course, he's an entrepreneur too, but not a serial entrepreneur. What made you want to do it this way instead of, you know, the conventional way that your dad did? <laughs> you know, in, in a way, I think he is also a serial entrepreneur, but no one can really top him, not even myself, to be quite honest. But, <laughs> but for me, I think it's really a chance to create a positive impact, right, and on, on society at a large scale. And, you know, all entrepreneurs kind of go through a different stage. Uh, you know, for me, the first one was just curiosity. This is, would be interesting to start this. You don't really know how to make money out of it. The second one, probably you've kind of figured out how to make money out of it, and then you want to, you know, be able to scale and expand that. And, and, and for me, my journey now is to really create a positive impact in, on, on society at a large scale. And you know, it's always been my driving force now. I, I kind of realize that even with this latest company that I, I'm starting. Mm. And, and to be honest, I, I think one has to be happy. And I'm really most happy developing on an opportunity and bringing that to life. Uh, 
in a way, it's a bit of an addiction yeah. <laughs> for me. <laughs> it's like you're describing the stages of love just now. You know? <laughs> See, I'm curious, you said your, your focus now is to create a positive impact on society. Yeah. How do you decide what's worth, what positive impact is worth venturing into? I think in many cases, you know, my last few, my last two startups, it is a little bit about disruptions and changing how things work, right? The company that Airbnb tried to buy us out, a company called TravelMob, was really trying hard to change the way how people travel. Back in a few years ago, before Airbnb and TravelMob came out, the idea of living in someone's apartment or house is not really common. Mm. Right? And nowadays, mm. you know, us using our app to call for a car to pick us up, walking, you know, going into strangers' car to be driven around. That, that, that's not the norm, you know, in many years ago. I, I think from a technology impact, making things go better, cheaper, in a much scalable way, I think that's something that has been very impactful for me to look at. And I think with this current company, Pays, you know, there's, there's, a, um, you know, there's a social impact to it, right? It's to make things more affordable. You can shop more responsibly. But, you know, look, this, those are the things that you kind of look at as you're just going to figure out, you know, the, the businesses that you're trying to create and scale. You talked about your BNPL business pace. Now, while the space is growing, the buy now, pay later space is growing, some commentators say that consumers should be wary as such models actually tempt them to throw financial prudence out the window. For one thing, it makes impulse buying easier. Some critics say the fine print on the online agreements is too fine. Some jurisdictions are actually already looking into regulating the industry. So while it's a lucrative business, to what extent do you see it as your responsibility to ensure that it's done ethically as well insofar as offering the services responsibly? Yeah, no, that, that's a great point, right? So I think that there's always ways of how you implement and how you go to market with your product, right? For us, it's, it's all about social uh, uh, social responsibility when it comes down to spending, right? Giving them the ability, in this case, consumers, right? Ability to control their finances better. The whole idea about buy now, pay later is not about making people spend more and, and shop more, but it's a way for them to sort of manage their cash flow a lot better, right? And that's why there's no interest being charged on the consumer side. The, the way how BNPR companies like Pace make money essentially is from the businesses, the merchants that really deploy these solutions, allowing them to really target the right consumers for them and scale their business that way. So in our product itself, we made it super clear that when somebody on board and, and uh, applies for a PACE account, we make sure that we actually do check on their background. We want to make sure that we don't uh, allow a PACE account to someone that has litigations before, bankruptcy filing before, and we don't want to encourage them to, 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 to go into unnecessary debt. And, and once they become a, a member, you know, we, we basically make it very clear exactly how much buying limit do they have in terms of making these purchases through PACE. So it, it's really curating that ecosystem, right? You don't want to work with certain merchants that encourages people to, to spend unnecessarily, but you want to be able to help those merchants to sort of scale their business the right way. And at the same time, you want to create, create a social spending behavior, right? The right responsible social spending behavior to our consumers itself. I'm sure you know that this business model has caught the attention of regulators and politicians as well. I'm sure the prospect of having to deal with regulations has crossed your mind. What would you consider reasonable versus unreasonable regulations? 
the good news is, you know, every single country that we enter, we, we actually do reach out to regulators, right? And to make sure that one, you know, we're not illegal, we're doing this the right way. So in Singapore, when we first started out, I think we're one of the few companies that actually reach out to MES, screaming for their attention, actually, to, to say, hey, look, we're here, we're going to do this, this is what we're going to do, and kind of give them an entire business plans of what we have. So we do work closely with the MES. They actually do have our numbers, they do have our updates very frequently. For me personally, I, I do want this to be regulated. In fact, I expect this to be regulated in a way that to make sure that I think it creates a level playing field, not just for all the BNPL players, but you know, it has to be a symbiotic kind of experience right, for all the players within the ecosystem. So ourselves, the providers, the businesses that adopt BNPL, and ultimately, of course, the consumers, making sure that what they are doing is, is socially and, and, and standing uh, the, the right way. T, when you pitch this idea of buy now, pay later schemes, and as you go along, what is the profile of a consumer of of pace in that sense? What is the profile and do you see that profile evolving in the years to come? You know, especially with all this talk of regulation and criticism, etc., etc. How do you see the profile of the customer evolving? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. So, you know, if you kind of take a step back, right, if you look at the total sort of opportunity and, and where the addressable market is, I think the MPL started in places like Australia and Europe and it really caught on in, in the U.S. as well. There are studies and reports out there, right, that the MPL in Europe represents about 2 to 4% of the entire sort of digital payment market out there. The same reports look at Asia and we are still below 1%. So it's still very nascent when it comes down to, you know, how BNPL is, is, is being introduced uh, and marketed and, and being applied here in, in, in our region. But typically, the, the customer base, the second base has been very similar, right? Um, it, it usually is the, the Gen Zs and the millennials. And in fact, that, that's one of the reasons why BNPL were actually, in a way, created, because these generations have not been adopting the credit cards, the ATMs, and the debit cards like my generations do. In fact, the adoptions of credit cards and debit cards have sort of fallen down, and BNPL is sort of filling that void right, in terms of that credit facility given to, to these consumers. So many, you know, sort of purists, right, of BNPL practitioners and a lot of industry experts basically look at BNPL as a replacement potentially for credit cards and debit cards because it's purely digital, right? It's agnostic to banks, it's agnostic to card issuers. Uh, it's, it, think of it as a standalone platform, right, that, that allows, you know, consumers to be able to, you know, spread their, their purchases, split their payments and manage their cash flow a lot better. Everything in the, in the convenience of their mobile handset. Yes, reports say actually banks have lost quite a bit of money because they haven't looked into this more carefully. They're losing money to the BNPL models. Actually, w- actually no. Yeah. You know, in a way, for us, we actually mm. partner with OCBC and UOB Bank in Singapore. We, we help power mm. BNPL to their credit cards and debit cards. And I can tell you, you know, we have helped increase their transaction frequency by 10 to 13 times in just 45 days. So we're right. definitely I, I, not making them lose money. <laughs> we're definitely <laughs> helping them uh, give money. I, I, I'm glad you corrected that and that you are using a partnership approach. But apparently in the U.S., 
the banks there have been slow to respond to the surge of demand in the U.S. So reports say that they might have lost about $8, million, $8 billion in revenue to fintechs. So I guess it's a totally different scene here, probably. And perhaps that is one way of making your BNPL model work as well. Do it in partnership, yeah? I think, you know, for me, in my experience of running businesses, right, I think partnerships is always an important component, not just to scale fast, but to really find a way to make the ecosystem work. The the mission of of PACE is actually more than just the NPL. The way we look at it is that we do believe that we are in uh, empowerment, not to just the consumers and the businesses, but to the current traditional financial institutions, all the way to neo banks as well. We, we play in that field where we become sort of uh, financing and banking as, as a service that allows this, you know, variables and, and, and players in these ecosystems to really, you know, to value up. Mm. It'd be very interesting to see where this setup goes. And speaking of setups, I mean, as a serial entrepreneur, you're a bit of a start now, sell later. So I want to talk. I want to talk about this, T. I mean, how do you know? And especially with Pace, for example, how do you know when it's time to let go? Do you hear the theme song of the Price Is Right playing in your head, and you go, "Okay, bye." <laughs> I know. I, I I I wish that was the case. To be quite honest, that there's really no formula, but it it is important, right? There are great entrepreneurs really never start a company to sell. Because without having that conviction and, and focus and, and creating change, whatever company that you start, you know, will often waver and, and, and eventually crumble. Mm. So, so it's always been the case for me. I've never started a company to sell, but there are many forces, right? That comes to you from availability <laughs> to, to to access funds. Yeah. You know whether you can scale this fast enough. And the question I always ask when an acquisition op- option comes is, will this further our company's vision? Right, okay. and, and throughout a lot of mental exercises, and <laughs> yeah, you have to make your own decision based on that. Yeah, yeah, that reflection is very, very important, isn't it? So, what are you looking at next? Which is the next big sector to look at in terms of growing a startup? Well, you know, if you guys have seen, right, the, the startup industry and you know the ecosystem in Singapore has been, has been amazing. Right, you've got a lot of unicorns popping up almost on a weekly basis now, and you've got when you guys started talking in this segment, you're talking about how entrepreneurs are going back to the the market and starting the second and third one. We've also seen alumni networks, right, of large companies coming out and starting of their own. I think it's a privilege for all of us to be here, to be honest, at least for those guys who are starting companies. You know, in terms of what's next, you know, I'm, I'm very much focused on pace and our goal is to really expand this company across Asia. You know, we're, we're in the midst of just starting out with our BNPL solution, but like I said, our, our mission is a lot bigger than that and, and it's very much focused on making sure that we empower consumers and, and make sure that our businesses really enjoy the sales efficiencies you know, through our solutions. T, final question, and this is just me taking advantage of the platform that I work on. I wish to be an entrepreneur, but I don't have any eureka moments. Do you have any advice for me? <laughs> no, I think everybody can be an entrepreneur, I think, right? Uh, it is whether, you know, luck plays a little bit of, of, of a part of it. And, and unfortunately, for most of us, we, we cannot really control luck, right? But yeah. uh, <laughs> the one thing that you can control, I, I think, in a way, is, is sequence, right? Okay. And, and, and I think in the things that you do, yeah, the plans that you have, you know, there's just never a right time to start a business. There's always a reason not to and, and hurdles. But, but, you know, the story about my how my dad has imparted that skills on me, right, is, is just keep grinding. Just go back out there and, and do whatever it takes to kind of make your dream into a reality. 
And at the end of the day, you know, uh, if you become successful one day, remember to find your own ways to kind of pay it forward. I think that's important. Very well put. I think that's a great philosophy indeed. Thank you very much, uh, T. Really appreciate your time with us today. To Rojas Fuad, CEO of Pace, a serial entrepreneur who's been telling us how he gets it all done. Mind Your Business on Money FM 89.3 is brought to you by Zero. Try Zero free for 30 days by visiting xero.com. Terms apply. Zero, beautiful business. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.